Attention paddock, attention paddock. Could Chris Pritchard and Steve Plater report to race control, please? Thank you. Control out. Oh, Steve, that sounds ominous. <laughs> it's not the first time you've been summoned to race control, I'm sure, is it? <laughs> no, but I've been a good boy this time, honestly. Yeah, I believe you. Hey, listen, this is the main man of the paddock, the one that everybody has to listen to. And it's going to be interesting. And this is the main TT podcast you're listening to with me, Chris Pritchard, and of course, Steve Plater. And this one is going to be very interesting as we meet Clark of the Course, Gary Thompson. Gary Thompson, welcome to the TT Podcast. Avid listener, I've heard. Yeah, yeah, I've listened to all the podcasts. Well, most of them anyway. All right, so, then. Yeah. Let's call you both on this one. Who was your favourite podcast so far? Oof. I know, I, they're, I, they're all good, actually. I, I, did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did enjoy the one from Hickey. Hickey was pretty oh, good, okay. one, actually. It's belittling me straight away, isn't it? Why? Has so, mine not been on yet? No. That's oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, when it does come out, Steve's will be the best Absolutely. podcast. Link it to your lad. Yeah. <laughs> right. So we start every podcast with the same question to the riders. It's all about that tap on that shoulder. For someone who's sat up in the control tower, it must be a completely different experience. So number one riders rolling out for the senior TT. We're at the end of the week. Are you just as nervous setting them guys off there as you are at the start of the week? How does it feel? It it feels like that right from the, the very first practice session. To be honest, really, yeah, yeah. It's uh, I I've said this uh, on a, on a few occasions to obviously I work on the TT all year, you know, putting together the, the risk assessment, the event safety management plan, the the the, uh, the, qualif- the, the schedules, the you know, the race schedules, everything, and the nearer we get to the race, you know, on the on the on the morning of the first practice session up in race control, obviously you're aware of you're aware of the um of the of the uh, of everybody tuning in listening watching everything you just want it all to go right and have you got a day job as well <laughs> absolutely yeah that's just in my spare time but um but yeah um when when and for me it's it's you know when we when we call the bikes up onto the onto the start line Obviously, there's a lot of activity going upstairs then because we've got to get marshals in place. Obviously, you know, beginning of the event, there's always a bit of an issue with getting marshals around the course and that because of the sheer number of the marshals. I mean, they do a fantastic job, but to get all the marshals in place is a, is a, is a bit of a feat. You know, once the roads are closed, we never know quite sure how many we're going to have, you know, uh, until the roads are closed, to be honest. We've got a fair idea, but there's always one or two shortages. So, but when, we, when we're ready to go and... You know, we hand over to the chief, chief timekeeper. Say, right, it's all yours. Um, you know, let, let's set the bikes off. You know, as soon as that first tap goes, it's um, God knows how these guys feel because you know, from my point of mind, my stomach's churning as well. Yeah, and that's just on first practice. But the the big one is is the senior race. I mean, that is every race is special, but the senior race is the one. And I am I am uh, I have a I wouldn't say I have a sleepless night, but I don't get much sleep, to be honest. I mean, we we spoke at the TT, and it sounds like you don't get no sleep much of the time anyway. You're up pretty early and yeah, constantly it's, busy. It's a long day. Um, I mean, uh, every day starts. I'm, I'm up at six because uh, I'm in contact with the, with the uh, Runners Way Weather Centre, um, uh, particularly on, on the race days. So is that but, your first first thought when you wake up? What's the weather going to be like? Yeah. 
Yeah, it is absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. What's weather going to be like uh, in practice week? Although obviously we don't worry too much of the weather until later on in the day uh, or from midday onwards, really, um, depending on what the conditions are. But I'm always up dead early because my, my first I have I have a meeting, an operational group meeting at um, seven fifteen. Then as soon as that's finished, either myself or the deputy Lizzie Kinvig, we'll we'll go across to the police uh, uh, police headquarters for a, a non-race meeting, and then we represent the racing organisation at the uh, police meeting and uh, and interject where where necessary and, and make them aware of any issues that may impact on on the emergency service in the police force. But uh, it's pretty full, and then the rest of the day is reacting to any reacting to any issues, and there will always be. Yeah, obviously, thirty-seven three-quarter miles. There'll always be issues around the course. We'll have, we'll have people. You know, just just general inquiries. You know, riders coming in asking questions. Just, just a lot going on. Mm -hmm. and, and then, of course, um, lunchtime. You start. Well, I won't say lunchtime. You start thinking about. I'm thinking about it all the time. But then I start ringing the weatherman if if conditions are looking iffy. I'm ringing up the weatherman and say to find out um, what the what the score is for the evening. Because uh, then I've got to start thinking thinking about. Um, uh, riders bringing bikes up for technical inspection, um, but the big one is the closure of the uh, the mountain section of the uh, the TT course, you know, mm -hmm. the one-way system. Yeah. Just uh, to get that closed is uh, to get that uh, taken away is is a is a major feat, really. You know, we've got um, DOI vehicles, coding vehicles, everything. There's a big big process which has to start about two and a half hours before before the racing starts. So it's a big old beast. That's unbelievable. I, I, with this podcast, I don't really know where to start, but Steve looks like he wants... Because I don't know whether to go back in Gary's history and find out all about this man or what, what his job is at the TT. So I'm going to hand over to Steve because Steve looks like he's going to ask him something. No, it's more the case where he's of gonna go. what you're explaining. Because obviously, I mean, people are well aware you're the main man and the guy behind the clock of the course and, and one of the major or main people that uh, make the decisions up in the control tower. But it's actually a big team of people up there. Yeah, it is. Uh, there's myself. I, just, I just for the listeners. Yeah, I mean, I, I head up the race control. I head up the race organisation. But in race control, we've got, oh God, um, eighteen people, nineteen people around race console. We've got um, so for uh, control, uh, control and management purposes, the TT course is split into twelve sectors. So um, there we are, there's, there's myself, deputy, uh, two deputy clerks of the course. Next to me is the elite dispatch, a guy on what we call the elite dispatch. So when the marshal presses his orange button on his tetra radio uh, to uh, inform us of an incident, that that message comes into the elite dispatch. Uh, the marshal's then got 30 seconds airtime on his on his um, on his on his on his radio to let us know. And primarily, there's, 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 the main questions are: um, uh, Do you need a race stop? You know, is it safe to continue? Do you need a race stop? And do you need air med? And once we've established that, you know, that in that, you know, once we've got that, I then, if if it said yes, we need a race stop, then it's automatically red flags. You know, we deploy the red flags. Um, but if not, we can. If it's safe for the uh, for the session to continue under under yellow flags, obviously we we do so. Uh, but then we've got to get the air med there if required, and you know, just manage the manage the incident, bearing the uh, bearing in mind that you know, racing is still continuing. So there's that. The and when I say the the course is split into twelve sectors, we have three controllers. So going going back to that incident, that incident is then passed on to one of the controllers. So we have one controller who manages sectors one to four, one controller sectors five to eight, and one sector uh, the last controller sectors nine to twelve. 
So in terms of the course, controller one is uh, start line through to Cronkivody uh, Crossroads. Uh, then controller two is Cronkivody Crossroads through to Ramsey Hairpin. Then controller three is Ramsey Hairpin, cross the mountain, back to the start. And then we have um, uh, laid up there doing retirement. So, you know, if, uh, if anybody stops on on the course, they let them out. You know, the marshals let us know who it is, so we can let the retirement office know downstairs. So, obviously, pit crews and family and that can can be made to uh, known. We have an event logist. Uh, we have a guy who is specifically controls the movements of the travelling marshals and the course cars. You know, we've got eight travelling marshals. Uh, obviously, we we'll have to deploy course cars. And then, of course, we're, we're um, also supported by all the emergency services. So we've got uh, police, ambulance, f um, fire as well. So, and, and, of course, the chief medical officer is up there as well. So, See, I thought you had a tough job, but obviously you've got 18 flipping people doing all the work. Oh, mate, it's too sit, easy. I sit back and take it easy. So, yeah, put the red flag out. No problem. So obviously that's an, an overview of your job uh, up in the tower at the TT. So let's go back to, I think let's go back to the start. You know, hmm. first of all, why? Why did you get involved with the TT in the first place? Oh, God, that's, uh, well, what it was, I, I, I did 25 years in the army. So I've left the army. Uh, in 2002 and the reason I left the army was because I was um, I was at a crossroads in my life as to I was offered a commission in the army so I, I was uh, W1 uh, warrant officer class one in the army and uh, I could have is that good Gary sorry that's the, that's that's as high high as you can get in the soldier ranks right uh, before so you all the army people and military listening to this going yes that is and I'm like no idea. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. Right, so. Well, I'll say it's yeah. Warrant officer class one. It's it's highest rank you can get as a soldier before you yeah, before you either apply or, or um, accept a late entry commission. Mm -hmm. So I was at, I was at that crossroads where um, I I could have either applied and you know, become an officer, late entry officer, or or, or carried on as a um, a late entry um, so, uh, sorry a uh, carried on as a soldier in my role as W one. Or left the army and um, started a second career. And uh, what it was was well, I was in Sierra Leone, and uh, I was part of the international military training team in Sierra Leone just after the troubles. And uh, my boss out there was a guy called Neil Hellings, Major Neil Hellings. And unbeknown to me, he left Sierra Leone a year before me and started work at the ACU as the chief exec. And he uh, he he still sent me an email said, look. He said, uh, I know you're into your bikes, I know you love your bikes, but there, there is a job coming up at the ACU uh, if you're interested. Uh, I didn't know he'd gone on to, to, to that role. Um, uh, he said, you know, th th these are the details to send your CV to it in your job application. So I did, because uh, I was on, on the verge of leaving uh, uh, Sierra Leone uh, to go to uh, 2-6 Engineer Regiment in, in Maidstone. And... Um, uh, so I was, I won't say I was playing one off against the other, but I was edging my bets. I was thinking, right, well, if, if the job at the ACU doesn't come off, then I can stay with the army and vice versa. So uh, I went for the job at the ACU. There's, I think there was 26 of us who went for the job, and then it was shortlisted to two, uh, me and this other, me and this lady. And then obviously I got uh, selected for the role, role of general secretary. And um, so left the army, joined, started, literally left the army on the Friday, Friday the 15th of November 2002, and started work at the the ACO three days later, so right. a bit of a, a bit of a, bit of a bit of a sharp turn around, um, and then so going back to the TT. Um, so uh, then four months later, so I was in the role of general secretary, and then four months later, the the 
the race secretary for the TT then was a lady called Margaret Greenfield, who who decided to resign from the ACO. So Neil Hellings came out to me. He says, um, he said, look, uh, I know you love your TT and everything. He says, uh, you've, uh, yeah, yeah. Do you want to go be the race secretary? Well, absolutely. So and that was it really. So I came across in 2003 as the race secretary. Um, obviously with a, 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 our finance director at the time, uh, Brian Bonney. Uh, so I came across with him and uh, I'd already you know, been before as a spectator and I loved the TT, my dad loved the TT, uh, the whole family loved the TT really. Um, so, you know, knew all about it, but not not a clue from the, the, officious, the officiating side of it. And that was it really. Then we, we had um, the Manx Club took the TT on from 2004 through to 2007. AC Events Limited got it back in 2008, and uh, by by that time I started um, um, a clerk of the course uh, role, if you like, or trained to be a clerk of the course with New Era under Jim Parker. And um, then I became I was the deputy clerk of the course for two or three years, and then took over the role in 2012. So, Gary Thompson, MBE, BEM, what yeah. the flipping heck's all that about? <laughs> Give them to anyone. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Jamboree packet. No, um, in 19, 1986, I was uh, in a uh, headquarters Northern Army group. It was a, a NATO headquarters, and uh, we I was part of a planning team uh, for exercise. It was exercise reforger, return of forces to Germany, and part of that um, part of that series or part of that um, exercise was uh, was the the actual deployment exercise called Exercise Certain Strike. Um, but our team, we was responsible for uh, moving three US Corps from Fort Hood in Texas, bringing them across, uh, staging them through uh, Belgium and Holland into Germany, putting them through this exercise and then staging them all the way back. And there was 102,000 troops on the, on the ground at the time with all the equipment and everything. Really? It was the biggest land operation uh, yeah, biggest land operation, albeit in exercise form, since uh, the Second World War. Um, my boss, me, my top boss, Colonel McEwen, got the CBE. Uh, Major Domerson, who was the planning officer, was he got the he got the MBE, and I got the BEM. So, so that was the BEM, and then in 1996 or 1997, I got the MBE for service operational services uh, for the year before, whilst I was in Bosnia. So. Bosnia. So you must have been on a few tours and seen a few things. Yeah, I was. I, I joined the army in 1979 uh, as, a, as a boy soldier at 16 years of age. Uh, I was in the Falklands. Uh, I was in the Falklands conflict in 80. What was it? 82. Um, the first Gulf War in 1991. Uh, Bosn- uh, two tours of Bosnia, uh, Sierra Leone, um, and I been warned off uh been warned off for uh gulf 2 but then i that's when i left the army to work at the acu when you mean warned off you when you say warned off you mean this oh said, don't, don't um, that was well what it was sorry two six engineer regiment had been uh had been earmarked for operations for on uh, for gulf 2 right and because i was only one of there's only four or five of us who was in two six engineer regiment at the time who had served in gulf 1 i was going to be part of the training staff right. for two six engineers for the for the yeah, for the, for the second operation, but they, uh, yeah, when I explained I had the chance of the second career in the ACU, they, uh, yeah, they agreed to let me yeah. go, and yeah, well, that's when I left. So, what, 
I mean, I, you never know what you can and can't talk about when it comes to, to like <laughs> military and the army. But yeah. which, which, the moment you say Sierra Leone, hmm. that 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 was the Black Hawk Down film was based on that, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, that place looked terrifying. Um, do, do you rank them in 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 terms of terrifying, <laughs> or are they all just absolutely terrifying because you're you're there to do a job? I mean, I, I wasn't I wasn't so much on the on the on the front line. I mean, I was in in um, uh, in, in in the Falklands, the Gulf, and uh, and in Bosnia, I, I worked in in three headquarters. So I, I wasn't like a, a frontline soldier. Yeah. But you know, having said that, you know, when you're out there, you, you do get pretty you know pretty near to yeah, and you and everybody's in in range of missiles and bombs mm-hmm. and God knows what else. So you know, it is you're always on your guard. And um, I think for me, the I think for me the, the I think it was probably initially it was probably the Gulf because we you know there, there was all obviously we, we used to get all the intelligence reports and everything and you know there was always the, the threat of a chemical and biological attack and all this I mean we before the Gulf started or the lead up to the Gulf you know we had that many injections for um, I think one of the injections I had was um, uh, uh, one of the biological agents or one of the biological um, uh, weapons he was going to use was injected actually with the with it with a contaminant but then injected in the other arm with flu so the flu could actually um fight the fight the agent really yeah, so that was the, that gives the immunization or helped gives the immunization yeah um that's terrifying but uh but no probably the gulf because there was always this up until when we obviously the RAF softened the blow because they uh, there was the airstrike on the um on, on the Iraqi army for about six weeks before the mm-hmm. land forces went in uh, the land war only lasted four days because I think you know they they just absolutely they've been absolutely bombed and mm-hmm. bullets to hell. So by the time we went through uh, the, um, the the coalition forces went through, we was uh, there was throwing down the weapons and just you know um, surrendering right, left, and centre. And the biggest thing was was literally then moving them back down the line, back to the uh, POW camp, the mm-hmm. prisoner war camp. Did miss it? Okay. So some of it do, yeah, yeah. Some of it I do. I, you know, I twenty five years in the army and um, met, yeah, met some good, met some good mates, um, and I just, I just like that. That it was. I'm a bit OCD. I am a bit, well, you know. Please, <laughs> <laughs> you brought it up. <laughs> yeah. I'm a bit OCD, and uh, <laughs> and uh, and I think because of my. Well, let me stop you there, right? Tell me, <laughs> so. He's left his house before, gone off, driven off, or mm. ridden, I'm not sure, I can't remember which. Realised he hasn't hung the tea towel up correctly in the kitchen, turned around, gone home and done it. <laughs> that is correct, <laughs> actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is correct, yeah. yeah. But, but uh, with the military... swiftly on. <laughs> yeah, with the military experience and a little bit of OCD-ness, I mean, that, that's perfect for, for the role of clerk of the course, right? It's, they need someone like that. Yeah, I mean, I do like the, I do like the, if you like the, I like things to be regimented, things yeah. that follow in a certain order. So, you know, um, when I put together a, 
uh, the qualifying schedule, the, the minute by minute, as we call it. You know, it is quite. You know, I do find it quite logical to. You think right, what comes next? And if he's doing that, she's doing that, he's doing that, and it and it just it just tends to follow on. Was that prior to? Did you have that kind of mindset prior to the the army though, or is was it the army that? No, we see anyway? when I, when I was in when I was in Bosnia, part of my, well for the two years prior to Bosnia, um, I when I when I first went to one UK army division in Germany, um, I was the I was the staff assistant of the of the headquarters uh, one UK army div. And unfortunately, our, one of our lieutenant colonels uh, died of a heart attack. And his role was to organise all the uh, ministerial, uh, well, organise VIP visits to our to our sector, you know, to our divisional area. Uh, so I did that uh, on uh, back in base in in Germany, and um, you know, we, we, it was, you know, not to name names, but it was it was mostly royalty and ministerial, and. And I carried out that function when we went uh, operational, uh, went operational in Bosnia. Uh, was in Banja Luka for six months, seven months in um, ba- uh, Banja Luka. Part of we was the multinational division southwest. So my role in Bosnia was to basically organise, you know, these VIP visits, and it was all, <coughs> it literally was all mostly royalty and, and ministerial. And there was the Princess Royal, there was the Duke of Kent. Um, there was uh, the Prime Minister, the uh, Secretary of State for Defence, uh, and all these people, and, and to put together a programme like that, bearing in mind the security aspect that had to come into yeah. it, you know, the the press and everything else, you know, that was, it was like, it, it was putting together a minute by minute, you know, a, a visit programme, a visit schedule, so. So this is a piece of cake, um, compared to that. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> it has its it has its moments, but uh, yeah, I mean it, it's it's a logical process, really. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't as though I had a, I didn't come into this event with a with a blank sheet of paper. I mean, obviously the, the clerk of the course before me and the clerk of the course before that, there was something to follow on from. Mm-hmm. You know, unlike they like the the Isle of Wight road races. You know, if we if the Isle of Wight road races goes ahead, you know, I've obviously worked very closely with Steve on the Isle of Wight road races, and that has been uh, putting together a schedule literally on a from a blank sheet of paper yeah wow so you have got some background in motorcycling like you just said you're a massive fan of the tt so where where did all that come from uh well before that it was a speedway uh i I first got took uh (laughs) absolutely um five i was six year old i think uh, six seven year old when uh, my dad first took me to uh, boston barracuda so Born and brought up in Lincolnshire. Oh, so it wasn't even a good speedway team that you went to see. It's not like you went to see the Tigers. Go and sit in the corner. <laughs> Wait, which Tigers? Sheffield, Sheffield or Leicester? No, Sheffield Tigers. Sheffield. Yeah, yeah. Well, no? anyway, yeah. Steve. Sheffield. Last. <laughs> Dougie Wire, wasn't it? Uh, no, Brothers. Yeah. I rode out of Sheffield. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I digress. No, no, so uh, that was my first, um, that was my first ever, uh, first ever, uh, first ever time I went to Sheffield, uh, sorry, Sheffield, Boston. Um, yeah, nobody goes to Sheffield. <laughs> it was Boston versus Birmingham Brummies. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Is that what they were called, the Brummies? Yeah, Bo- uh, Birmingham Brummies, <laughs> yes, ironically. Yeah. And their number one rider was a guy called Arthur Browning. Yeah, so there's this big six-foot giant in the pits uh, with a bloody great big mop of ginger ale. And, uh, and he, my, my hero then was Carl Glover. He was, he was my, my big hero. And, uh, you know, Arthur Browning beat Carl Glover, he beat Arthur Price, and that was obviously the Boston team at the time. Um, and I, I just absolutely fell in love with the sport that night. And, and literally, um, from the age of seven through to 
six until the, the day I joined the army, we we never missed a meeting at Boston. Really. And and very rarely missed a meeting at Kings Lynn as well. Kings Lynn Stars, which is only thirty yeah. mile down the road. Absolutely loved it, and that was that was when when I fell in love with motorbikes. And it's mad at it because I'd have been there the same time. Would you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'd have been there same time. Not watching. Yeah. I'm with riders, small world. just cleaning wheels, and yeah, yeah. small yeah. world. Eh? And um, and then of course, yeah, I, mean, I was seventies. You know, uh, obviously everybody who you know. Uh, Kids of our age, we our heroes were Barry Sheen, Mick Grant, yeah, um, and then uh, then we had a rider at Boston uh, who was, you know, for me probably, and although his career was relatively short, one of the, the greatest ever speed riders of all, of ever was Michael Lee, because he he stopped riding mid eighties, was it? Yeah, I think. world champion. Yeah. 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 yeah, but what a what a what a talent, mm. yeah, and obviously the great Peter Collins, yeah, yeah. PC, um, world champion in seventy six. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but no, that um, so yeah, um, um, Barry Sheen, um, Mick Grant, yeah, people like that, and then uh, then I joined, and, and I kind of I wouldn't say I lost touch, but obviously I couldn't get to watch as much as I wanted to. But obviously we'd been in the army, but you know you always keep in touch and um, did a bit of off roading here and there, but yeah, nothing nothing serious. Well, yeah, that, I guess that was going to be my next question. Normally you you get bitten by the bug. You're a fan of it, and then you want to have a go at it and 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 try it out. Yeah. Become a speedway champion. Did, yeah. did you have any? No, no. I was I was, I was in the army. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, no, not was that all. because you knew the talent wasn't there, or you, no, just, you well, just had no interest? Well, the, I, I I I certainly proved that the that the talent wasn't there because when I, <laughs> I'm not sure if you know this actually, but when I left the army, I when I joined joined the ACU very very shortly after that, I became a I was a. a Sidecar passenger on the back of a grass track outfit, Ooh. and um, I, uh, you know, and I was I was by I was what forty years of age then, and uh, probably my movement as a forty year old wasn't <laughs> probably what it should have been as a teenager, and yep. so we was in this uh, uh, I was uh, I was I was I passengered uh, Andy Cosser, God bless him, he uh, and he sadly he died he died a couple of years ago with cancer, but. Um, uh, and his son Mark, he's gonna he's been multi times uh, 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 track sidecar uh, champion, a thousand cc champion. But uh, I passengered passengered his dad, and uh, we we didn't we didn't do too well because um, I. Uh, you move like an old man. <laughs> yes, <laughs> basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, well said, Chris. <laughs> I couldn't put it better myself, really. <laughs> but there were, my my career come to a, a, a shuddering halt when I uh, we was in this national meeting, the John Underwood Trophy uh, in Buckinghamshire, and we had a really bad start because we wheeled up and then we were trying to catch up, and uh, uh, we hit this bump going into the, the third lap, third third bend of the third lap. And uh, Andy and the sidecar went one way, and I went pinging off in the other direction, <laughs> and ended up in Stoke Mandeville Hospital for uh, for a few days. Oh the whole whole left hand side was all fractured and bent. And that was your racing career? Uh, well, started and stopped right there. Well, I landed at the because I was general secretary then, of course, at the ACU, and um, Jim Parker was the the, the chairman. And uh, uh, anybody in road racing will, will know the name Jim Parker, and he, he sadly died in two thousand and thirteen. But I was, he was the chairman of the ACU and I landed at, apparently I landed at his feet. And um, he came to see me in hospital a couple of days later and basically said, um, he said, uh, young Gary, he said, I, th I think your racing days have come to an end. 
But I had I had a road bike, and so I've I've done a you know, the national rally and all that sort of yeah. thing. You know, but uh, you just said a thousand cc. They were running thousand cc's in those grass strike. Oh, they still do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thousand cc. Yeah, we had a yummy uh, X up. Yeah. yeah, fabulous, brilliant. Yeah, on I'd grass. Just, yeah. Yeah. yeah, not a chance. Sideways everywhere. Yeah. Not a chance. Not no, no, mm. no, no, not for me. So luckily for everybody else, you became clerk of the course. Um, the TT. That's a matter of opinion. <laughs> <laughs> but, Done a good job so far, right, Steve? I don't know, Steve. God, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I um, I went down the officiating route then, and um, uh, yeah, I, I was appointed in 2011, and my first event was in 2012. And uh, I must admit, I. I I uh, I absolutely love it. Absolutely love that. I mean, some years are are more difficult, than obviously we've had a difficult year this year. But uh, you know, overall, and and, you, and sometimes you go and you think, gosh, truth, you know, that that was that was difficult, like I did this year, to be honest. But um, you, know, you, you sit back, you go back, you readjust. You know, you you know, we, we have meetings, we have debriefings, you you know, you, lessons learned, all this sort of thing. Um, but there's there's there's, there's there's something about the TT. Uh, uh, it probably sounds cliche about you know it's it's a, well obviously we all know it's the most unique event in the world and all this sort of stuff and that's that's been said many many times. But being upstairs in race control, when it's when it's going well or when it's going to plan, and everything's in place and everything's happening and the sun's shining and the crowds are out there, there is no finer finer place to be or a finer event to be in charge of. To be honest. I think that's the perfect way to to end part one of this podcast because I want to get into this um, this first ever Clark of the Course in 2012 because it didn't quite go to plan. <laughs> but we will get to that in part two. So make sure you join us on part two to hear more from Gary Thompson. Mm-hmm.